And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. As has been mentioned, we will have our annual report this afternoon, and we will have a potluck after the morning service, and the annual report will probably be given about 2 o'clock. We hope everybody stays for the potluck, but if you cannot stay or wish to not stay, then uh, you can come back at 2 o'clock for that report, and then remember that our evening service is at 3 o'clock. So if you know someone is not here and usually are here on Sunday evening, make sure they know that we're not going to be here at 6 o'clock tonight. Well, hopefully we won't be here at 6 o'clock tonight. Um, We'll be here at 3 o'clock. Last Sunday, as we were driving to our destination, we had Elizabeth's children in our car. They had been out of town, her and her husband, and so we had been taking care of uh, Isaac and Ethan for the last uh, few days. And as we drove down the road, you could hear Ethan start to sing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And he just sang it over and over and over. I told Josh I was going to ask him to lead this song for us. But I wasn't sure how well us adults would like to sing a children's song this morning in worship service. I have no problem with it. So if you'd like to sing along, let's sing that song. I'm going to move away from the microphone. (laughs) Here we go. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree, the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior came walking by, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down from there, for I'm going to your house today. So yeah, I'm crazy. 
We sang a kid's song in worship. Now, I have preached on uh, Dr. Seuss sermons, but now I can say that we have sang a children's song in a sermon. But I said we're going to talk about Zacchaeus next Sunday. And that's what we're going to do. And what kind of tree did Zacchaeus climb up in? A sycamore tree. Ah, a sycamore tree. All right. We have sycamore trees all over the Midwest. We have them in Michigan, but they're nothing in comparison to the sycamore trees in the Middle East. In fact, the sycamore tree in the Middle East uh, have different names. In fact, in Africa, they're called the queen of trees. In Egypt, they're called the tree of life. And partly the reason for that is that they have a particular type of fruit on them that many people believe are used for some type of medicinal purposes. And so they look at that as something that's good. And so a sycamore tree is something that is treasured as something that is valuable. In fact, we can look in the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles chapter 27 and verse 28, and we find there that David appointed someone to watch over the sycamore trees and other trees of that time because they were of great value. And so the tree that Zacchaeus climbed up into was highly regarded and was very valuable. And in the limbs of that valuable and highly prized tree, a man who was unwanted and sinful climbed into it. I wasn't saying in that introduction, I'm going to back up here for a minute, I wasn't saying that he's a fruit or some kind of fruit cake. But Jesus looked at him as a fruit that needed to be saved. He needed to hear what he needed to know. And so, as the song says, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, but he was also a tax collector. And in the days of Jesus, tax collectors were not highly regarded. In Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 11, it says, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? In fact, that was a question or a statement that was made when Jesus invited, or invited Himself to Zacchaeus' house. That others were saying, He's eating with sinners or He's abiding with sinners. He's going to their house. And we're going to find about eight or nine times in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where someone questioned the fact that Jesus was eating with publicans and sinners. You see, it was like there were sinners... But then there was a special class of sinners which the publicans or tax collectors were a part of. The question is, why were the publicans so hated? Why did everyone despise the publicans? Well, for one, they worked for the Roman government. Rome occupied Israel and the land and the people were literally owned by them and the Jews hated it. They didn't like the fact that the Romans were occupying their territory. A second reason was they were considered traitors because they worked for the Roman government. And they weren't just traitors, but they were also thieves. 
They were viewed as thieves by people. Why? Because back in those days, tax collectors were not paid by the Roman government. Rome simply said, we need this much tax, you collect this much tax, and whatever you can get over and above that is yours. And they would often charge whatever they thought the person could pay. And as I looked for the, or researched this sermon, I found that many times tax collectors, if you came into a city with goods, they would follow you around and tell you how much you had to pay in taxes before you could leave. And so people hated him. Zacchaeus was a good tax collector. And a really good tax collector made a lot of money. And so we see in Luke chapter 19 and verse 2 that Zacchaeus was called the chief among the publicans and he was rich. You know what that means? That means that Zacchaeus was really good at his job. And so if Zacchaeus is so rich and so powerful, and if he had everything that he could possibly want in the world, what was he doing looking for Jesus? Well, I believe that there's a few things that we could come up with, and I think you look at for clues. A lot of times when I look at people in the New Testament and the Old Testament, I try to picture them as people today. That the things that motivate us are the same things that motivated them. The way that we react today is the same way people reacted in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. That people are still the same. The things that motivate us and, 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 and cause our emotions to flare up or to, to, to engage are the same things that caused people back in those days to react the way they reacted. And so as I look at Zacchaeus, I think that there's some clues in those verses of Scripture. And so I think that maybe, just maybe, he was tired of his life. He was tired of being hated. He was tired of being rejected. He was tired of being ridiculed. You see, I believe that it's possible that he became a tax collector to get revenge. You say, now why would you say something like that? Because I want you to remember that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. The Bible says that he was small or little in stature. People would literally look down on him all of his life. I would imagine that in his day it would be just like our day. That when you go to school or when you go out into the community, if there's something odd about you, maybe you're too short, too tall, whatever it may be, people take notice of it and sometimes say things about you. I'm sure that's never happened to any of us, but out there in the world, I'm sure that it does. And so I would imagine that in Zacchaeus' day, being a short individual... He was ridiculed. Think of all the nicknames that we have. We call him a wee little man. You call people pipsqueak, shorty, tiny, little guy. I'm sure that he heard all kinds of things as he was growing up. 
But when you become the tax collector, it kind of evens things out, doesn't it? You've got the power to take revenge. And when that individual that made a riot may have ridiculed you as a young person or because of your size comes and has to pay, your ta- pay his taxes and you have the option of adding to it, oh, that would be sweet revenge, wouldn't it? And if you didn't pay up, I'm sure that he had the power to make your life miserable. Because if you didn't pay, he was going to get you. The little guy. The wee little man. He liked being feared. He liked having the power. And I would imagine he liked having the money. There's an old saying that revenge is sweet. And think about all the times that someone's done something to you, maybe as you were growing up, and you had the opportunity to get even. We see that in our everyday lives. Someone cuts us off in traffic, and we would have got we gotta get even. We gotta we gotta get revenge. And so we zip up next to them and we 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 shake our fist at them. Hopefully that's all you shake at them. You cut them off and then you're even. And revenge is so sweet, isn't it? Someone says something, does something, and you strike back and now we're even and you feel good about it. But the fact of the matter is, revenge really is not sweet. In fact, most depression is caused by repressed anger. I saw one study that said that 95% of all cases of depression is caused by repressed anger. You see, there's a price to be paid for bitterness. And I think that that might be where Zacchaeus was when he wanted to see Jesus. Revenge wasn't nearly as sweet as he thought that it would be. He was tired of the anger. Tired of the bitterness. Tired of the rejection that he had been experiencing. And he wanted to change. But he's not sure how. Maybe you've been in that situation yourself. Maybe not as like Zacchaeus. But you realize there's changes that you need to make in your life and you just don't know how. And then Jesus comes to town. And I'm sure that He had heard that Jesus didn't care who you were or what you look like or what you had done. And I would imagine that he had heard words like that heard word of the fact that Jesus had eaten with publicans, tax collectors. And it's possible that Zacchaeus may have heard that Jesus told the chief priests and the elders that tax collectors or publicans would make it to heaven before the chief priests and elders did. Now, if you're despised by everyone else, 
And that man that says there's something different, that you are a soul, wouldn't you want to meet him? Think about it. Even one of his disciples was a tax collector. I would imagine that had a great appeal to Zacchaeus and it gave him hope that Jesus might just accept him. And that the fact that Jesus was said to have to teach about forgiveness and Zacchaeus desperately needed forgiveness is something that he wanted to hear about from Jesus. And he desperately needed to change. And so Zacchaeus runs out into the street. And he's not sure what he plans to do, but he wants to see Jesus. And it sounds like the situation was very crowded. And Zacchaeus can't get in in front of the crowd. You ever been to a parade and it's really crowded? I've seen pictures and watched it on television. The inauguration parade when the president's going down the road, the sides of the road is jam-packed. Can you imagine trying to press to the front and get to the front? And many times we allow children to get there. But if you're someone that's hated and despised and a tax collector... You going to move over for him? You going to say, "Hey, make room for Zacchaeus." I can imagine him jumping and jumping up and down trying to see if Jesus has come. And he sees a tree. And here's an interesting thing. Don't even know how true it is. But that's supposedly a picture of the tree that Zacchaeus climbed up. That's what they say in Jericho. Sycamore trees grow with wide branches that sprout up from the trunk of the tree. And if you could see the other side of that tree, you would see where it looks like there's a hole where a branch had come up out of the ground had broken off. But he looks right up in that tree. Right at Zacchaeus. And what's the first words that he says? What's the first word out of Jesus' mouth? Zacchaeus. Maybe you don't find that significant, but I think that that's very important because do you realize that this is the first time that Jesus has gone to Jericho as far as I could find? And this is the last city that he goes through before he is betrayed, beaten and crucified and laid in a tomb. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus. Just like he's his friend. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. For I want to abide in your house. Jesus spoke to him. And he wanted to go to his house. And I believe that Jesus here is offering Zacchaeus hope. He wants a second chance. And so Zacchaeus climbs down from that tree. 
And he heads to his house, and I would imagine if he was like you and I, he'd go running through the house and make sure everything that you left out, your socks and, and your whatever's in the out of place, picked up and put away before Zach or before Jesus gets to your house. But then you stand there and you see that Jesus is coming into your doorway, into your house. To sit with you. And suddenly he's struck with the condition of his soul. By the shallowness of his life. A life of selfishness. A life of pettiness. Now some people see Christianity as a nice, comfortable religion. And a lot of folks come to Jesus... But they don't really change their life. They did what they wanted before they met Christ. And they still do whatever they want to do after they've met Christ. They come and they sit in church. They sing a few songs. Pray a few prayers. Listen to a few sermons. But they never change. They never change the way they live their life. They never change their priorities. They just go on doing what they did before they became a Christian. In all my years of preaching, I've seen churchgoers who lie, who cheat, who steal, who sleep around, who say things and do things that they know they're not supposed to be doing as Christians. But yet they do them anyways. People like that do what they do because they've deceived themselves into thinking that they can get away with it. In other words, we know we do it. And maybe when you pray to God, you're even afraid to mention it to Him because you don't really want Him to know it. You ever been there? It's kind of like the little boy who was taking the family dog for a walk. And as he was walking along, he was jerking on the collar, jerking on the leash, and treating the dog real rough as he goes around the block. And suddenly his father appears and accusingly says, Do you want to tell me how sorry you are? And the boy looked up and said, I can't do that until I know how much you saw. And that's kind of the way we are with God. We think that everyone else, you know, we may fool everyone else. And as long as we don't mention it to God, He doesn't see it and He doesn't know it. And we're not quite sure how much others have seen, but we're hoping it's not very much. But of course, the problem isn't what you and I see in other people. It's not what others see that I do or you do. The fact is, God sees it all. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, neither is there any other any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him 
with whom we have to do. So we can't hide ourselves from God. We can't hide our sin from God. He knows all about it. In fact, you know that that David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, he kept it a secret or tried to, but he did not know that God disapproved or he didn't acknowledge it. You see, one of these days, people who play that game are going to be in for a rude awakening. When Jesus comes back, it's not going to be a pleasant event for those who have hidden their sin instead of taking care of it the right way and changing their life. God has always called for a change of life. John the Baptist saw the crowds coming out to be baptized by him in Luke chapter 3, verses 4 or 7 and 8. He said, O generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. What's he saying? If you're going to change, show it. Let your life demonstrate it. Show the things that you're supposed to change. Get rid of those things in your life and do the things that you're supposed to do. What did Paul tell King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 19? Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. You see, when we change, when we obey the Gospel, when we become a Christian, part of that process is repentance. We hear, we believe, we repent and we confess, and we're baptized. Part of that repentance is not just saying, I acknowledge that God exists, that I believe that He's real, but it means that I'm going to change my life and be what God wants me to be. That's what Paul's calling for. That's what John the Baptist was telling the people that came to witness his baptism. And that's exactly what he were told on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. When they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? What did Peter say? Peter answered and said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What was the message? Repent and be baptized. He didn't just say be baptized. He said change. And they had to change and put their faith in the individual that they had crucified. They had to change their life. The question is, have you and I changed our lives? Are we what a Christian are we what a Christian is supposed to be? Are we living that life? Or are we still doing what we wanted to before and still doing what we want to afterwards? We go down in that watery grave of baptism and we come up a new creature, changed. The question is, are we changed like we're supposed to be changed? You see what repent means to change. It means we change our lifestyle. We change our priorities. It's not enough to just to give lip service to God. You've got to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So if you stole, you stop stealing. If you cursed, you stop cursing. If you are fornicating, you stop that. And the list could go on and on. But if you're doing those things, there's going to be a price to pay. 
and you're not going to like it. You need to change. And so did Zacchaeus. Did he change? Did he repent? And I believe from the Scripture we can see that he did. When Jesus came to abide with him, when he came to his house, when he sat with Zacchaeus, in verse 8 of Luke chapter 19, it says, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. When Zacchaeus repented, he put his money where his mouth was. Zacchaeus was so repentant that he was willing to give half of all that he owned to the poor. And that's pretty significant when you think about it. But then he declared that if he cheated anyone, that he was going to give them back four times as much as he took. Now, if you don't think that's amazing, go back in the Old Testament and figure out what they were supposed to give. How much they were supposed to return. If they stole $100, look and see how much they were expected to return. It wasn't fourfold. Zacchaeus was saying, if I took $100, I'm going to restore that plus an additional 300 to whoever he cheated. Now, I want you to notice something. Maybe you've not noticed that in the story as you read it. But Jesus didn't say anything. Zacchaeus just realized that he was in the presence of Christ. And that's all it took. He repented and he sought to bear fruit in keeping with his repentance. But not everyone does that. I hear people say what they're going to do when they see Jesus. I want you to notice Zacchaeus' response. When he was in the presence of holiness, purity, righteousness, the Son of God. Jesus didn't have to preach to him. He didn't say, this is what you need to do. He realized just the way that Jesus treated him, he needed to change his life. You have your Bible. I hope you do. Turn over to Psalms chapter 32. Because you see, sometimes we try to hide our sin. We don't want to acknowledge our sin. We all want, don't want to tell God what we've done. We don't want to confess it. We just want to cover it up. And we hope no one ever finds out about it. And when we talk about depression, sometimes we get depressed because we know we're not doing what we're supposed to do. We get discouraged in living the Christian life because we aren't doing what we're supposed to do. And we know sometimes there's sin in our life that we need to take care of. But listen to what David says in Psalms 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no God. What's he saying? Just in those two verses alone, it's like a bird being let out of a cage. It's free. And until you take care of your sin, you are in a cage. You're in bondage. And you're not free. And when you acknowledge your sin and it's forgiven, it's like a burden has been lifted from your shoulders. And listen to what he says. When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. From day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. What's he saying? That when I had my sin and I hadn't taken care of it, I was miserable. Why? Because he knew. God didn't come down and put His hand in squashing, but He knew that God was displeased. He knew that He wasn't doing what's right. And brethren, that's why many of us are so miserable in living our Christian life because we know we're not taking care of our sin the way that God wants us to. And we're miserable. Does that sound like He's in a pleasant state? Beginning in verse 3? Does that sound like everything's going wonderful? No, verse 1 and 2 sounds good, doesn't it? Because He acknowledged His sin. And God took care of it. And he was like a bird, free from a cage. But he goes on. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquities have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and I forgave us the iniquities of my sin. Why is it so hard for us to acknowledge our sin? Why is it so hard when we've done something to someone to just say we're sorry? Forgive me. And why is it on the other side is it so hard for us to say, I forgive you? And why is it when we sin that we don't want to tell God about it? Maybe we're embarrassed. Maybe we're ashamed of the fact that we've done it so many times that we don't really want to confess it to God again because we think He's tired of hearing it. And so we carry the burden. And it's like a drought in the summer. And if you've ever been in an area where there's a drought, you can go and you can see the ground as dry as can be. Walk and dust stirs up. Sometimes you see the parched ground is cracked open. Grass is all dead. Leaves on trees are withering. Corn, when you see corn, it's all twisted up. But then when you get back to Psalms chapter 1, you can see the tree that's planted by the water. When we live the way God wants us to live, we're refreshed. We're happy. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, well, you know, I try to live a Christian life and I'm just not too happy about it. I don't feel like that tree. I feel more like that, that, that drought in the summer. Maybe we need to look at our life and ask ourselves where our priorities really are. Because sometimes we really, really don't repent of the sin that's in our lives. You see, David thought that he could get away with not telling God what he had done. 
And it became after a while like he could hardly breathe because God's hand was upon him day and night. And so what do we do? When we know God's pressing on us to change, we just try to forget about God. Put Him out of our hearts, out of our minds. We don't want to acknowledge Him. Can't be Him! It's got to be something else. But we're going to blame it on Him when in fact the problem lies within ourselves. All God wanted David to do was to own up to his sin and do better. And that's all God wants from us. Admit when we've done wrong and then determine to do better the next time. And that's what we find in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 that as a Christian, as a child of God, someone that's been baptized into Christ, John tells us that if we can that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's He saying? Talk to God. Acknowledge your sin. You know, sometimes we do something as a child we didn't want to have to face mom and dad. You knew that they were going to find out about it one way or another. And it would have just been easier to go to them and tell them. But I remember one time I got in trouble at school and the teacher was going to call home. Well, I wasn't going to go home and tell them about it. And all night, every time that phone rang, I dreaded it. I hated to hear that phone ring because you know how many times that phone rang and it wasn't the teacher? And I was miserable. That's the way we are sometimes. Just confess it. And if you would just confess it, you were better off. Even as a parent, we want our children, we would rather our children come and tell us than to find out about it some other way or read about it or whatever. So God says that if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us as a Christian. But God is the God of beginning again. And for someone who's not a Christian, He tells us what we need to do. And as we looked at last week's lesson, when He talked to Nicodemus, He told Nicodemus that we must be born again. That we must be born of the water and of the Spirit. And we realize in our study and what the Scripture teaches us that it's through the act of baptism that our sin is washed away. Because that's what Ananias told the Apostle Paul, Saul, at that particular time, when he said, Why tarryest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? So that's what we need to do for someone who's not a Christian, not a New Testament Christian. The exact same thing that they did on the day of Pentecost. The exact same thing that we read in all the conversions that that took place in the book of Acts. And we're to repent and be buried with our Lord in baptism. Why? Because it's through that act of baptism that we come in contact with the blood of Christ. You see it in the baptistry? No. If you went down to the river, would you see the blood of Christ? No. It's through the act of faith. We do what God's told us to do. 
what Jesus has instructed us to do when He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the picture that's painted of what we need to do in order to become a child of God. We go down in that water and we come up a new creature. Our sins are forgiven. And God expects us to do differently than we had in the past. That's the part of repentance. So once again, we need to trust God. And if you're not a Christian today, you need to be born again. And if you've been baptized for the wrong reason, then you need to be baptized for the right reason. And that's for the remission of your sins. And so I ask you today to honestly look at your heart. And if Jesus came to your house, if He said, I want to go home with you, would He stand at the door and knock before you let Him in? Or would you even answer the door? The question is yours. And so this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, I would encourage you to do so. And you have that opportunity while we stay in the same.